now it's time for the Fat Man Talking Podcast. Presenting to you from Cork, your host, Mr. Shane, the Fat Man Talking Duggan. Paul Dermody, welcome back to the show. How are we keeping? Great, 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 great. And you? I am fantastic. I'm deeply worried that the 10 minutes we just chatted for has been all of the, the best podcast topics gone, just disappeared. I'm not sure we'll rediscover them in this conversation. So apologies to the listeners in advance. We've used up the good stuff already. It's been all of the, the pizzazz and the fizz and now we're just a flat of it up. That's it, man. It's, it's tough times. I mean, look, it's been a while. How's life? How are you keeping? Uh, life is really good. Uh, overall, I can't complain. I, I was often hesitant to say that in public domains. I know a lot of people are going through tough times now. Yeah. Um, just, just fortunate that I happened to be in the right side of the world at the right time, at the wrong time, if you like. Um, incidentally, we, the country I'm in, Vietnam, looks like it's going to go back into lockdown today. Incidentally, the gyms already closed this morning. We all got the notice because they went from one to 40 cases yeah. this week or this morning. So other than that, other than the kind of first world champagne problem of having my gym taken away, life's good, man. Can't complain. What are you? It's good. Here, you know what? Things are things are good. I mean, we're we're in the thick of this lockdown, and listen, I'm sure listeners are sick of hearing this, but uh, yeah, man, it's 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 definitely a different world. Training from home, I finally this is the first time I've just adapted to it and just said, look, I just have to do it. So uh, it's something a bit different where I'm like, all right, I set up the front room in the evenings, you know, three, four times a week, do my workout, looking like a fool. And uh, then I just finish up. It's it's different, but it's fine. Outside of that, uh, not that it'll be this weather when we actually release this podcast in a few weeks, but it's uh, we're in some sort of a Siberian winter type beast from the east situation, which I'm not sure. Were you in Ireland for beast from the east in 2018? Um giant snowstorm yeah so we seem to be in the thick of that where the next few days is meant to be like crazy snow and it's super cold so i'm like frozen here at home still working from home you know a year later and it's uh yeah things are things are very very much the same every month since uh last year it's uh i wish i had news i wish i had anything going on i wish i'd gone on holidays paul there's uh there's very (laughs) little going on I told you you should come to the sun last time we spoke. You said you were happy in court. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not wrong. And then, and then I had to go on my holidays to Galway during the summer. And it was lovely. But the fact that you go to, like, say, these staycations, everyone was big enough during the summer. And they're saying, this is amazing. This is amazing. And what it actually came down to is it's just too expensive to stay in Ireland was actually what killed me. And maybe I'm just a cheapskate. But, like, what I spent on three nights in Galway for like food, drink, like just overall accommodation was what I'd spend for 10 days in Tenerife. And I'm like, all right, 10 days in Tenerife, you have the sun, you have nice burgers, you have cheap beer, you have nice beaches. Three nights in Galway, we had a mob salt hill, average weather, driving around in my car like I do any Sunday, just in a different county. I mean, really, it's, uh, yeah, you know what, man? I should have chased the sun. I should have left Ireland. But, uh, oh, well, I'm, I feel like I'm in here for the long haul. I, I'm such a home bird. I don't see myself ever leaving long term. So it'll have to be maybe a traveling stint here and there. 
might pop over your way. You'd never know something. But I think I, I do think that self-awareness is key. I, I, the temptation on my part could be to be online and say, hey, everyone should move away or we should all move away. Uh, like it's the best thing I ever did when I moved to Spain, I just got a taste for it. I did it to, to scratch an itch. I yeah. did it with the, in, the intention of returning home. I, I don't actually think I was intending on returning home. I think there was just a part of me that was a little bit fearful or maybe lacking that intrinsic thing that I was going to make an online business work in Spain. Um, but similar to what you're saying about a staycation, like here in Ho Chi Minh City, it's 30 degrees, which for me is heaven. And, yeah. you know, I've had some really nice, the borders are closed to come into the country, but you can leave the country. You just can't necessarily get back. So the Vietnamese have handled the, the whole situation really well, depending on your definition of, well, there's conversation of human rights violations, which I'm personally on the record to say I'm, I'm quite okay with in the sense that we only did a six week lockdown here. And that was a tough, intense one, but it was, it was good in yeah. that context but we've had some staycations here because of it and like i've stayed in some some penthouses and some resorts and because tourism has essentially been flattened across vietnam i've had some amazing deals like experiences that i wouldn't say once in a lifetime but that they were a fraction of the cost because of covid so there's been some like i said about being in the right place at the right time but we're lucky about the staycation like the, that was the reason i left galway i I couldn't get past the cost of living. I couldn't get past the terrible weather. I, d I didn't actually love the quality of day-to-day -day life aside from work. And who wants to work, just live just to work? Yeah. So it was only going to be one outcome for me. And that was three years ago now, nearly. And best thing I've ever done. But self-awareness. I know so many of my friends who love living at home. They love it. And they couldn't imagine leaving home for prolonged periods. So it's all about yeah, what makes you happiest. It's just really the flip of the coin and what you actually like. I mean, like I have say me look I'm, I'm stuck in ireland and there's there's certain amount of negatives but to be honest for the most part it's positive you know i've i've family around that i can visit when restrictions will allow me to i have the ability to just be in my own little comfort zone of you know everything's familiar everything's okay and you know for the most part i would prefer to be in that type of a setting but like i have friends who are stuck in different cities they're stuck away from family i've heard of people you know who had relatives pass away and they couldn't fly home and, you know, that stuff, that's tough, you know, when it comes down to it, like what I'm facing in terms of being stuck in Ireland compared to some people who are stuck abroad and don't have, you know, that ability to do the simplest things uh, in terms of, you know, their family or friends or anything like that. I think that can be tough, especially, you know, if you think, all right, so you've set up a life in another country, you want to leave on a short term basis, but you can't like you, you're pretty much stuck in Vietnam for the next you know year or two unless you decided to move home, which is highly unlikely that you're going to do. Uh, very similarly, you know, my sister is in Australia. She's been there for 10 years and she just had a baby and none of us get to meet that baby uh, because she can't fly home. So that's tough. You know, I'm thinking, all right, I have a new niece. I get to see her on Skype. It's brilliant. But like for the most part, me and my family are going to miss the whole, I don't know, probably first year, year and a half of her life where we've never met her in person. And that's strange. Like, when would you ever do that in normal life? It's uh, it's a different kettle of fish. It, it is. My sister had a baby herself in September back in Ireland, and I obviously am going to miss a significant portion of that. And Orla, um, my girlfriend, won't have been home. Like, I got to go home for my sister's wedding just before COVID. Yeah. Orla won't have been home, I don't know how long. It'll, it, it'll be two years very soon, and it's not going to ease up in the short-term future. So you're right. Like, it probably will have been three years. If you told us when we were leaving that you, you won't get home for three years, I'm not sure we'd have approached it with the same enthusiasm, if you like, but 
it is what it is. You know, people are going through all sorts of challenges. I have to say, if if not seeing loved ones when we have Zoom and WhatsApp chat is the biggest obstacle, it's the price that I'm comfortable paying, knowing that economically some people have been, you know, fairly demolished and, and, and businesses have gone under. And as an economy, we're going to struggle a lot too. I, you know, I'm not watering down anybody else's struggle. I know family stuff is real, but just you have to pay your bills. You know, you can still see people on chat, but if your business or if your job or your livelihood has been taken away from you, you know, it's a perspective. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, f- from your perspective, so I, I mean, imagine people are going to be sick of our COVID talk anyway, so we, we won't drag it on too long. But in terms of working in this past year, and look, obviously your, your whole business is online. You're coaching people from no matter where they are in the world. But one challenge with that is you're going to be coaching people who are in a lot of different settings in a lot of, a lot of different levels of lockdown, you know, in a lot of different levels of comfort with being outside the house, with training. And obviously, like in, in times like these, motivation or I suppose a want to train can go up and down very frequently. And, you know, people's want to stay consistent with their work can be tough. So, I mean, how's that been coaching clients in such a varying climate? Really interesting question. Are you more implying or kind of talking about the motivation or keeping home workouts, for example, or nutrition, or all of us? Well, well, along those lines, but even like, I suppose you're speaking to people and like for the most part, like, especially like seeing on your social media, you know, the past few months, I know you're just going into a bit of a lockdown now, but like for the past few months, you've had it pretty normal where life has been quite normal. You've gone to the gym. I see you post a video in a gym and it seems like I'm watching something from like a dystopian future where... I didn't even realize that was possible anymore. And I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's living, this guy's legit. He doesn't work out from home. He works out in a gym. I'm so jealous. And it's, uh, it's weird. It's super strange. And I mean, when I'm looking at that and you could be talking to someone who's been stuck in their house with their kids for six months because they have someone who's high risk. I mean, it's, it's just drastically different. And you're like, how do you approach that in terms of not wanting to make them uncomfortable by talking about how comfortable you are? But at the same time, you know, acknowledging the fact that they are in a very different situation than, you know, you, you know what you're, I'm saying? You're dead right. It's, I, I made the decision in the summer that I was going to keep my personal life off social media. Now, I've made that decision that I was going to stop my travel, stop putting up my travel pictures. And I'm not sure why, uh, to tell you the truth. I can't decide just yet. Was it something that I wanted to do to make sure I didn't do anything for validation? Was it that I didn't want to make people feel bad for the fact that you know, I do have access to this beautiful country right now and free of lockdown and other people don't quite have that. But I made the decision not to do it. Now, I mean, I'm not totally like, you know, life is tough in terms of for all of us, you know, for, for every beach I get to go to, I won't get to see my parents for how many years. So it's not like I'm dancing around Ho Chi Minh City carefree, if you like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had to be very careful. I have no problem putting up my training client videos in the gym because you see what I'm trying to get people around in life. I carry a set of principles in life in business that in my my coaching philosophy everything and they transfer across all aspects of life and one of the principles for example that i've been putting up a lot lately you may have seen in my clients is if you understand how resistance works whether you're using a trx weights dumbbells a machine or gravity you can manipulate the resistance to create a change in the body so i've had no problem 
um, kind of putting up my workouts with clients in gyms. I'm trying to encourage people to use good technique, use good form, even just keep people thinking. Like if if I just slow down a push up and make a push up from one second down to four seconds, and you do that at home, and that makes your home workouts better because the, the tempo has been manipulated. That can be a very useful thing to do. In terms of keeping my client base motivated, which is is actually I always find motivation an interesting one. I think a lot of us have silly processes that don't actually align with what we actually would like our day-to-day -day lives to look like, which sounds a bit simplistic, and I really hate reductionist taglines. But let's say you hate those kind of home hit workouts, whatever, you know, those YouTube workouts. I would always suggest don't do them, and I know a lot of people are trying to force that process. Uh, yeah. Whereas I'm trying to encourage people, well, what's the bare minimum we could actually do? You know, it's a lot easier to maintain the kitchen than it is to build a house. So what do we have to do to maintain? Like, for example, Shane, when we got word of lockdown today, I've already mentally resigned that I'm probably not going to train for the duration of whatever we're locked down for. I hate home workouts. They're just something I cannot get enthusiastic about. I, I hold no problem to it. So my client base almost gets that weird permission from me that because I'm not doing them, they don't have to do it as well. Um, but I'm okay with that. I, can, I consider it like a bar chart. So I won't place any stimulus on my body for however long we're in lockdown. One day, two weeks, three weeks. Last time it was two yeah. weeks. It's, it's not like when one one factor goes, it all goes to crap. I won't get any physical stimulus to change my body. That's fine. But instead, I'm getting recovery and rest. I can still get neat activity. I can still be diligent with my nutrition. I can still be diligent with sleep and stress management. So if you take that as five different components of a bar chart, yeah, I've lost the stimulus, but I still have 80%. I still have the other bits and pieces. So I can still be 80% of a healthy life in terms of food, movement, activity, etc. Yeah. Um, and I encourage my clients to adopt a very similar philosophy. Realistically, realistically what would you be willing to put in day to day in order to to feel like you come out of this in a good place like there's a big difference between trying to lose 100 pounds versus someone who's trying to stay strong so in terms of my own approach towards covid i'm trying to not put up any of my personal life when i travel when i go out like i still go out to restaurants and bars every weekend and i'm trying not yeah. to put up too much of that stuff and then in terms of keeping my client base motivated i'm encouraging them to adopt a like the minimal effective dose they can realistically do. Um, it's a complete tangent, Shane, but one thing that's personally changed my life is keeping a number of very small promises to myself every day that I could do in my worst day. So if I was in prison, I could still do them. And, you know, it just basically involves having a glass of water when I wake up, always having a nutritious breakfast and pushing breakfast back if I'm in a scenario where I can't do that until I can have it, and movements, whether it's a 30-second walk or... 10,000 push-ups and everything in between, just movement. And there are three small promises I can keep on my worst day. And I really feel like I've owned the day when I get those three things done, and they can be done every day. And some of my clients have, it, it starts in that mindset of small promises. But realistically, it is just the small unspectacular decisions, I think, that keep us going. Um, I know a lot of people are very bullish right now saying, you know, don't let COVID be the excuse. To, 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 to. Uh, but I think we all process things very differently. And it's yeah. not how I want to come across. So I hope that answers that. And I hope that's kind of clear. I know it's a bit ambiguous. No, no, it does. Absolutely. I think one really interesting thing you touched on there was in terms of, I know you called it the promises to yourselves, but it, it's one of the things that I've been really focused on the past few months. Now, obviously it changes from month to month on what it's going to be, but the, the daily non-negotiables that make a day successful or the day a day. And I like the way you, you put it there where you said that I could do on my worst day. Because, I mean, that's literally almost making yourself foolproof. Like, it's, it's, if you're able to do those on the worst day, on, you know, the day you have the least amount of motivation, on the day you're your busiest, 
realistically, when are you ever going to have a bad day? When are you ever really going to have a bad day? That's that's really interesting way of putting it. It's kind of like making yourself bulletproof in a sense. It's quite it's quite cool. I I, th- I definitely think so, and I, I, it's it comes with experience of coaching. You know, you'll have your own individual experiences with food and dieting, just like I do personally. But when you work with such a wide variety of people, just two small examples. I have I work with a lot of people who are what I would consider to be under the illusion that that progress is about perfect macros and calories, when in truth, it's going to be a series of unspectacular small promises and decisions that we make. Yeah. Uh, I can think of two ladies in particular that early in the journey, one, one lady on her first day and another on her first week, you know, j- just because the desire for a little bit of fat loss was there, it didn't mean the stresses of life went away. And I remember specifically the moment one of my ladies began to panic saying, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm going to be working till all hours. I won't get my workout done today. I didn't bring a lunch. I'm going to have to go to the deli. Like, what the hell do I do? And we had talked about this idea of small promises. And honestly, the sense of relief in her when she said, I didn't track the calories I said I would. I didn't even hit the step count I had set for myself. But I moved and I got a glass of water and I don't feel like the day was a complete catastrophe. And that to me is success. It might sound a bit strange, but that to me is success initially, especially for coming from a place of kind of black and white extremes or, or very dichotomous thinking, you know, dichotomous of like all of answer A or all of answer B, even though that's really how, how life works. And I just think when you take that pressure off yourself to some arbitrary definition of perfect and start living in an unspectacular day to day, like, you know, we all make plans, but none of us can control the external world. We literally cannot. We have we can barely control our own our own emotions half the time in life. We definitely can't control the external world. So I do think when you can set three very controllable promises, one controllable promise, I don't mind what number it is, you can feel like no matter how heavy the day got, I still think you can feel like you showed up for yourself in that one way that you promised yourself you would. And I do think that's confidence. Like I really think that is what confidence is. I've noticed my own confidence has grown exponentially over the years. And I'm not confident because I think I'm, fantastic like don't put a halo over my head and call me a angel or a saint just yet it's because like the last thousand tiny promises i said i do i did and that's really what it comes down to you know 365 glasses of water mean nothing but when you say you'll do it every day and you do it then all of a sudden you start thinking geez well maybe if i was to join a gym maybe if i was to you know do the next little task i've set for myself you'll chunk that down too like i'm trying to write a book chain and I still get my ego caught up in the fact I'm not a writer. But then I sit down and I'm thinking, how, what would it take for you to sit down and write 100 words? And I'll never write just 100 words. It always becomes 2,000, always. But I've sat down and, tr- no, it's half it garbage. But, you know, I sit down and, and I, I do it, like, and, and I love it. And I absolutely love it. And the hardest part is literally sitting down to write. That is the hardest part. It is the part I resist. It is the part I don't want to do. Then I do it, and I feel fantastic. And it's like going for a walk. Nobody's moving for 30 seconds. But once you start moving for 30 seconds, you're going to continue it on for 20 minutes. So that's the, kind of the idea behind the small promises and the confidence. And I've seen that spiral into a place of, I trust myself now. You know, I, I know that I won't go into fuck it mode when things get a bit rough. I feel like that's, that's like your, your ultimate phrase. You and the fuck it button are just infinitely aligned. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's Paul. That's hands down, Paul. But... um. <laughs> It's funny what you said about writing there, because I, I love. Go on, you go. Sorry, I'm excitable. Oh, I'm excitable, Shano, and uh, I just <laughs> I'm trying to jump into. It's just my I just used to when I was younger. I used to always be in this massively all black, all white mindset of complete 
like feast or famine. So when you think of the fuck it button, it's because I just used to almost let it get to such extreme and then press the fuck button entirely. And um, now I just, it's become my truth because I want everybody to get, I want everybody to get this feeling of, huh, it doesn't have to be so extreme in here. Yeah. It can be a little bit more calm. I think, I think that's important though. I feel like that is an important thing for people to realize. Um, now, one thing you touched on there, which I found interesting is you're writing a book. So what what is the topic of your book if you're allowed to tell me i'm guess is it fitness related or is it lifestyle related i suppose or is it like a novel type thing because i'm curious okay so um i was i've been trying to write a book for the last while and i only have a few thousand words written i've more than that written um but i don't love the essence of it it's because it's basically all my podcast and my coaching philosophy in a book and Brilliant. I don't love it to be honest. I don't, I don't, yeah, but I don't feel I get it across well in the written word, right? So I kind of paused it for a month and I thought I'd come back to it. And what I've actually done since Sunday, and I've written 14,000 words, all of which I'm happy with, I've started writing a new book that I have no genre for it. The closest to it would be business philosophy, but even then, it's, it's uh, so I keep a little bit of a diary. This is going to sound super cheesy. I keep a little diary in my, my backpack, my school bag. And in it, I have a little series of phrases or little philosophies that I hold in life. And I, I have a rule. I'm not allowed to write, a, sound, again, it's going to sound silly, but I really like doing it. I, I keep a series of kind of very bite-sized philosophies in that book, just things that I like to write, just things that remind me of how to live a good life. And my rule is I'm not allowed to write them in there until I feel I've embodied it or I can think of an embodiment. Because it would be easy for me to sit down and write like, you know, I'd be a fantastic king of emperor. But I don't know. I can't prove that. I've never been the king and emperor. But I keep, the, keep that little book as when I feel that I've learned something or embodied something or, or something has happened. And I just write a one line. Um, like I took one directly from a guy called Naval Ravikant, which is Escape Competition Through Authenticity. And, you know, I've had moments recently, I can't even pinpoint to one, but I'm like, this is authentic to me. I feel like I can embody this now. Uh, others like take nothing personally someone dm'd me to give me a piece of his mind in my dm and i was like yeah like understandable and you know my temptation was to bite back and give them a little piece of my mind and you know my yeah. girlfriend's great for that thing no no you're your own customer service agent don't be like that so it's basically the philosophy and the principles that i take into my business and into my personal life um because i've seen my business grow to to be honest with you to a new place that even i didn't think i was going to get to in such a short time and some days I feel like, holy shit, like, is this really the life I'm living? So I, I believe they're working. And for that, the book is kind of basically business philosophy, but I hate the word philosophy, so I don't know how to describe it. But it's basically principle. It's all the principles that I have used to try and remain ethical, to remain ambitious, to remain happy, whilst all trying to aim at my own highest values in life, which is freedom and peace and love and genuine sense of inner self and inner tranquility and you know when you feel your attention being fragmented or you feel like you know people are online can irritate you even though that's a reflection of how you feel inside just basically my own journey of trying to get rid of all of that filter out all the noise and stay very loyal and authentic to what i'm trying to achieve so essentially it's, it's inspired heavily by two books principles by ray dalio which i didn't even read the full book but the uh, the premise of the book is amazing and the other is the the almanac of naval ravikant they're the two books that have inspired it the most. Oh, and Ask Gary Vee, but I haven't read that in years. But they're the three books yeah. that have inspired it. So it's basically my um, pocket-sized version of Three Geniuses. And I love it. I love writing it. 
it's a passion project. So if I release it and it gets only one sale, I'll feel good about that. It's a real something I did just for fun. See, that's awesome. I I absolutely love that. One, I, I really, I demand an early copy. I wish to read this because it sounds like it would actually benefit me massively. Really, really cool. But I love a passion project. You know, like th- this podcast itself is a passion project. It doesn't really matter where it goes, but I sit down a few times a week and have great conversations. And I'm like, if I can keep doing that the rest of my life and 10 people listen or 100 people listen and someone gets something from that, that's amazing. And then when you add on that layer of, you know, someone you wouldn't expect messages you and they say, you know, what, what you said there in that conversation, that made a massive difference to me. Suddenly you're like, oh, this is where my passion comes from. This is what I'm getting from it. It's not about money. It's not about necessarily being the successful podcaster or being, you know, the, the greatest thing on the iTunes charts. It's literally down to, have I released something that's going to benefit someone? Have I done something that's going to help someone? And when you hit that place of just doing something for the sake of passion and not for anything else, you get great work done. Like, I, I just can't deny that enough. Like the amount that things pace up and the things increase and, you know, the amount that comes back to you when you're just putting your passions into something compared to focusing on, you know, the small little bits of success of, oh, this has to be the most successful or it's failure. It's, it's crazy different. Oh, it's, a hundred percent. I could not agree more when you, when you have that mindset of you just want to be working to your best, but also when you do work for your own sake, when you find work that feels like play, um, you know, you're, you're going to do it for its own sake. And I think that's kind of the best kind of work as opposed to trying to force something. Like I, I was really thinking about this in, in, in the book and I was thinking like Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi, the footballer, he makes astronomical money because he can do things that only Lionel Messi can do, right? He, he obviously picked up a football when he was young. He played it for fun. He didn't do it for the billions of pounds when he was two years old. But Lionel Messi does things that only he can do, and people come from all over the world just to see him, because he has that pulling power. Nobody else on the planet can do the things he can do. Now, he's one man in one industry, but he does it better than anybody else. Yeah. Similarly, I'm in an industry where there's a lot of trainers, but nobody else is ever going to be 30, nearly 31-year-old Paul with my experience, my eating history, my client base, my perspective. Nobody's going to beat me at being me, just like nobody's going to beat you at being you. And that's two unique sets of skills and strengths to us. Now, how we maximize that will be unique to our own ability to stay relevant, to prioritize the right things, to feel authentic, you know, to not get lost in, in nonsense and bullshit. But I don't need to be like the number one ranked personal trainer on the planet to have a very good life for myself i just need to be constantly lifelong students i need to be authentic in what i do i need to have good intentions good principles good morals and people will gravitate towards me and the wrong kind of people will gravitate away from me and that's wonderful because you know there's a certain subset of people that i won't work well with and they'll gravitate away from me and that's 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 what you want in my opinion you want the right people to come to you you want the right people to consume you and then you want to be able to in my opinion create financial and time freedom by doing the things you love the most in life so it will continue to feel like play. Um, yeah. And that's, that's very much how I see it. And that's one of the premises of the book. It's kind of, that's, that's a very sh- small subsection of one of the chapters, but I actually wrote about that this morning, so it's fresh on my mind. See, that's very cool. You know, I just when you're speaking about your business, and I suppose your work as well, you touched on that briefly there. One of the things that I think is different about you in the way you approach your work, in the way you approach working with your clients particularly, is that, you're not someone who goes through, you know, you're not someone who comes onto Instagram and says, you know, I have 1000 clients. 
I trained this many people, I've trained this many people, or I've done this much work. You're kind of like one of those guys who work, who's working sneakily in the background. You know, you'll put out, you know, a client's win every now and then you'll put out, you know, oh, this person is doing really well. I'm so happy to have a conversation with this client. You'll bring them onto your podcast and have these great conversations that inspire other people to do work. But you're kind of creating this background culture that I spot because I've been one of your clients. And sometimes I can nearly go onto someone's Instagram and I'd say, I bet they're a client of Paul's because the way they're approaching things. And it's these small things that are very relevant and very true to you. And they're not exclusively yours, but I can see that there's these, these thoughtful approaches that you give to people that they then apply to their own lives that creates success and that creates, you know, I suppose, very much an authentic approach to fitness and health that is different compared to I'm your personal trainer and I have this many clients and I'll get you a six pack. It's a, it's a different way of coaching. And it's a way that I suppose it's authentic in my view. And it's, it, I feel like it gains more success really when you approach it that way. And th- thank you, dude, for those kind words. Um, it is, I, I, again, I talked about the idea of escaping, involved philosophy, escaping competition through authenticity. I'm not a particularly flashy guy. And, um, do you know what? Something I learned about myself in the last year. God, I love podcasts. It's such a May Fainer for an hour. Um, I own. I don't really get anxious or anxiety, and I, I don't say that too often because you know who the hell cares? People have their own problems. The only real time I've ever felt any kind of anxiety, and I can feel it. Like I can feel it in my chest. Was when I was trying to maybe overshare on social media or share in such a way that wasn't actually who I was. I was out of alignment, right? So again, yeah. I'm always trying to audit things. So I've really taken a step back and I've decided to let my business, my clients do the talking. I share my client podcast partly because I want people to understand you can diet from a place of not being the worst thing you ever do in the world. I want people to understand that dieting isn't some miserable venture, that it should be sustainable, that it's not a chicken and broccoli diet. But also a lot of people, even though the principles are the same, like the principles are the same for me and they are for you. And we're, say, different parts in our own journey. For example, you'll have different goals to me, who'll have different goals to Ronaldo, who has different goals to Usain Bolt. It's just the natural flow of life. We all have our own personal and mental obstacles. Now, what I try and do is I try and separate myself from my thoughts. I try and almost watch myself, watch myself have thoughts and try and make sure that the, the things that limit me in life, that I'm very aware they're thoughts created by somewhere, but they're not mine. It's my mind telling me a story and trying to prevent me from any kind of personal growth, right? I feel very connected to my own thoughts and to my own self. I, I feel very in alignment, to tell you the truth. I can't always say I felt in alignment. I do now. Obviously, not everybody's quite there in their own journey. So by me bringing my clients on to share stories, maybe that's just a bias I have, but certain people will connect with other perspectives. Like, I'm not a, a, a mid-40s lady who's lost 50 or 60 pounds, but some of my clients are, and they can tell a story in a way that I simply can't. And that inspires a lot of people to either become clients of mine or else to just eat better from the right mentality as opposed to the wrong mentality and never be a client of mine and hopefully pull them off a toxic diet cycle. So I really do the podcast because I, first and foremost, I love it. I love sharing the message. I want people to get away from toxic diet cycles completely because it changed my life. It, it completely changed my life. Now, if I did it for very different reasons, but it changed my life. And, and I, don't need, I don't need the validation anymore from anyone. I mean, I'd be lying if I said there's nothing you do for external validation because population was empty why the hell would i do anything in the first place but i think i do it for the right reason and i think i care more about myself now in a good sense than i do about what anybody else is going to say about me so i'm much more comfortable in the face of criticism i don't post as much content about myself i post some client wins because i think it has the power to inspire other people 
but it feels right. And it's no yeah. coincidence that my business is, you know, it's in a healthy place and it's exactly where I want it to be. Um, I don't know. I just wake up with this immense gratitude and this immense enjoyment every day. And while I'm enjoying it, I just think that's when you create the best chance of success. But like, I mean, you have the same thing. Like you said, your podcast, you know, is your passion project project. I think you're an amazing interviewer. I think it shines through in your personality. I said that to you before we went on the air, you have a skill that your interviews don't sound predetermined. I said, this, what's your favorite color? Who's your favorite power ranger? You know, like, I know. I, yeah, we get it. Like, you know, they're the same six questions that every fitness personality has been asked. But you have a way of getting people to converse in such a way that I think is really authentic to them. And when you do something for the sake of it, you're just going to enjoy it so much more. Anyway, yeah, long-winded spiel. Well, well, thank you for that. Those, those are very kind words. I'm, I'm probably going to do the, the standard Irish thing here and, and try to deflect from myself. because No deflecting the compliments. As, as much as I appreciate that, I, I'm sure I'll listen back to this episode and I'll have, you know, 50 different criticisms of what I could have said or how much I, I was breathing too heavy or I should have muted myself when I cleared my throat. You know, there's these small little things that'll get to me that I'll go, no, that, that wasn't as perfect as it should have been. I want to tell you something just because you just reminded me. I remember in 2018, I got Gary V on the podcast and I went to New York and but someone messaged me. And it was, again, you have little moments in time. I always think of moments in time I don't know why, it, again, it sounds a bit silly, but I just think moments are so much more relevant than we think they are. And someone messaged me after the podcast with Gary Vee, and he, he said, I read your content. I thought you were full of shit, just copying from every self-help book and then writing. Now I've listened to you on, on the podcast with Brian Keane, and I've heard you with Gary Vee. Fair play on everything you're doing. And I remember having this feeling of, I don't feel overly complimented. I don't feel insulted. I feel very neutral. You know, it's almost like I couldn't hear the critic because I thought it was quite passive aggressive and backhanded. And it was also a compliment in the same thing. And I remember thinking, I'm not reacting to either extreme here. This passive aggression doesn't bother me. This backhanded insult doesn't bother me. And then the compliment at the end doesn't get to me too much either. And it was one of those moments that I'm like, you're on the right path here, man. Just keep going. Sometimes I think that's kind of authentic to the person. You know, you have someone who could, you know, slide into your DMs to give you some feedback and they're just doing it to be a prick even if they're giving you a compliment, like, oh, I thought you were an absolute knob and now I think you're not a knob, but you know, I wanted you to know that I thought you were a knob. You know what I mean? Like the, there's something in that, yeah. the, there's an essence in that where instead of messaging you and going, I listened to your, your podcast, you know, I, I, I heard John Bryan's, I heard your, your interview with Gary Vee and you're doing amazing. Fair play, keep it up. And that to me is someone who's spreading a positive message and it's, it's someone who's being supportive versus you have someone who wants to, maybe it's just being true to themselves, but they want to tell you, you know, for years I've thought you were a knob and you've been coming across as a knob in however many avenues of life, but I heard you on some podcasts and I realized you're not, you're not as much as knob as I thought you were. And it's, it's an interesting one where maybe that's someone who's just too brutally honest, or maybe that's someone who just can't, can't dish out a compliment lightly. But it's uh, it's it's an on approach that I'd never take with someone. If I'm being honest, I'd either tell someone, "Look, I think you're good. I think you're brilliant. I think you're doing great. Keep it up," or I probably would just keep my mouth shut. And that's my approach. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't bother me too much either way. In, in terms of, I talk about the principles extending through life, and one of mine is, you know, nobody else is responsible for how I feel in in any shape, way, or form. Um, nobody is responsible for how I act or how I feel, and it sounds like a difficult place to get to. I actually think it's, it's really liberating. So, you know, I sit in Starbucks at 6 a.m. every day. 
every single day of my life here in Ho Chi Minh and I watch people come in and I, I just want to shake them. Um, I wish they knew what a privileged existence it is that by getting so angry at the Starbucks clerk at 6, 10, 6, 15 a.m. in the morning about the wrong size coffee, usually that they actually ordered with a slip of the tongue or the wrong milk. What a wonderful life you live that you have the ability to get so angry about that and how terrible that is that that sets you up for your day. Um, and it's just something I observe in people's behavior. Nobody, whatever about the wrong coffee, I just think nobody else's words have any power to disrupt how I feel about myself if I choose, if I choose to just to go with that reaction. Nobody else, you're not responsible for how I feel. I'm not responsible for how you feel. I'm sure we have both have thoughts or opinions or beliefs or words that would piss the other off or offend the other or whatever it is, but c'est la vie. I, I, I never signed up for not offending you or the other 7 billion people in the world with my words. Um, and I just applied the same philosophy back. And it's actually quite a liberating thing because, you know, you follow, if you follow maybe James Smith, you might see that yeah. he polarizes a lot of people. And you know, he, I, I would not be able to deal with that kind of heat that he gets on his page. He gets so much shit. But like, obviously, that's his business model because he gets so much love as well. So much love. And I'm sure he's a very successful business model for it. But for me, man, I just... I just want a quiet life. I just want to slip away slightly under the radar, use social media as the tool it is to grow my business, and then just, just go away again, just retreat a little bit, you know, go on a little holiday from social media again. That's it with you, though. You're a bit of a, you're a social recluse in a sense. Like, you're, you're as as invested in as you needed to be without overly committing yourself. And that's not to say that you've always done that. But, like, that's what I find with you lately, anyway. I mean, you post a certain amount, and I feel like you reveal a certain amount about yourself, about your clients, about the work you're doing. But you're not necessarily, like, constantly, like, oh, look at me, look what I'm doing, everything going on with me, this is my life, I'm giving you full access to everything. And that's more a bit of me. Like, I post a lot on my Fat Man Talking page, and, you know, I post about, you know, fitness, about mental health, about ranging areas of my life. But, like, would I say they scratch the surface of any more than 10%? absolutely not they don't and i'd rather it be that way because this podcast has certain topics i discuss certain people i like to have on you know a certain message to get across but is that the entirety of my whole life absolutely not am i going to let all that come across in my social media no i have a private instagram where my family see every other aspect of my life and that's kind of what i rather like i these people and maybe it's it's down to like a guy like james smith but who can commit to literally giving people almost all of themselves on social media and giving them so much. And maybe he doesn't, maybe that's just how he puts it across. I don't think I could ever do that. Like, I, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not saying with my 700 followers, it's quite the same as, you know, James Smith's 700,000, but I'm not sure I could ever commit to actually giving people that much of myself because I, I feel like I'd be living my life too much online then. And I'd be almost not living my life. I'd be too focused on that side than actually the real side. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I, I fully agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, not, I don't just know what you're saying. I fully agree. But I also think it's a bit easy to lose yourself in the identity. I, I did it in my mid-20s as the fitness guy. Definitely wanted to be the bodybuilder, the fitness guy, the physique guy. And I lost myself a little bit. No doubt about it. No big deal. Didn't take that long to quickly snap out of that. Um, but I feel when you connect, when you attach yourself to something to that same degree, I feel you do potentially lose the ability to reinvent yourself as the years go on i never want to be pigeonholed as a fitness guy or an anything guy i really enjoy life and i, I believe i'm a lifelong student and a lifelong learner at 30 31 years of age at the end of the month i don't believe a lot of the things like 
one thing I was reflecting on just yesterday is most of the things that I thought were things just five years ago aren't even things today to me. And I'm trying to see what will that look like again in five years. And, you know, if it doesn't look like that again in five years or 10 years, I'm going to be wasting years and years of my life. It's constant evolution and it's constant change. I read my first yeah. physical book at 29 years of age. So you're That's always reinventing crazy, yourself. Man. It's physical, though. I did listen to audiobooks a lot. But yeah. you, you have the permission to change your mind always. And you have the permission to grow. And you have the permission to... Like, I always think we're, we're so fixated on the past. I've, I've really experienced that as a coach. Because one of my philosophies, and I hope this always came across, is I don't care about your weight. That's your business. I care about how happy you are and how understanding of the principle you are and how in control you feel and how empowered you feel. The weight is your business. And... It's just, I want everybody to kind of feel that kind of autonomy. I don't know. I could, I could go on about this for a long time. It's kind of something that I'm, um, feel particularly strong about. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, th- I think the thing is, when we have these chats, I feel like we both go down so many different rabbit holes. I'm not sure how many real topics we'll have covered here in enough detail with people. But I mean, such is life. I'm gonna bounce on to the next one anyway because. It is one I really did want to touch on and I am conscious of time. So you you had an incident recently with a client where their progress pictures got reposted on some random keto Instagram page. Talk to me about that because that, that I found quite crazy and also quite annoying. It pissed me off. Yeah, yeah. so I got a, my client Lisa, you'll be familiar with Lisa, she's on this podcast. Uh, she puts a lot of work into losing the bones of 70 pounds. And, you know, I talked a moment ago, and that's kind of where I was going with it. I should have just finished the spiel of, you can consciously create who you're trying to become. And I believe that. And I've noticed anecdotally that a lot of clients who struggle are so fixated on the past that they're neglecting the fact that you can consciously pave the way forward. All of us. Yeah. And what happened was Lisa sent me a picture of her being a, a testimony thingy above on this Instagram page. And I thought it was one of those shout-out pages. You know those weight loss shout-out pages that are like, Congrats to Lisa, 70 pounds down, motivation, go follow her. I thought it was one of those. And I went and looked at it. And immediately, that, the picture didn't sit right with me. And underneath that kind of props to Lisa Marie Sheehy, 70 pounds, for more information on the ketogenic diet, click the link in my bio. And I was thinking, first of all, fuck trace, you had nothing to do with this. Second of all, this had nothing to do with a ketogenic diet. In fact, if anything, I'm trying to pull my clients away from toxic diet cycles and Whatever about a keto diet, which I can't say I fully support from a personal level, the idea of saying that not eating carbohydrates led to a 70-pound transformation is misleading, it's unethical, it's unnecessary, not to mention a lie. That was the part I struggled with the most. So I DM'd the guy and I said, I assume it was the guy, hey, take the picture down, you had nothing to do with this. And he was like, relax, bro. And I was like, you relax, bro. And he took the picture down uh, eventually. And I had already put them on my DM, I on my my screenshot story thing about I'd put them up on my Instagram. I just wanted to just call them out, like you know, just just to expose the charlatanism that uh, exists in the industry. But when I clicked the link yeah. in his bio, <clears throat> he had the keto diet on sale from ninety seven dollars down to thirty seven dollars. And you know, I wasn't even angry. Uh, genuinely, I, I do hold quite a strong philosophy of never have expectations of others. And it's easy to say these things until you're put into the shit mixer and then you lose sight of it. But I don't. I don't have much expectations of a lot of people. That sounds quite negative, but it's actually, it's actually a really useful thing because whether you disagree with someone, whether you don't share the same philosophy, whether people will grow apart or whether some people are just that kind of scumbag, 
you're going to encounter this in your life. So that wasn't the part I had a massive problem with it in that, you know, it exists. Why would I lose time over it? But the big thing for me was behavior change. If you want to do something, quote unquote, extraordinary relative to where you are now, you are going to need to see tremendous value in behavior change. And in my opinion, one of the hardest values to instill as a coach is to loosen the grip on the outcome and make the behaviors the reward in itself. So a 70 pound transformation is going to come down to a series of very small, very unspectacular beliefs. And in Lisa's instance, and this isn't a secret because she has her own podcast and she's on my podcast, I would never give away confidential information. Lisa's very stubborn. Lisa wasn't the best listener at the start in the context of, I will buy these clients usually, and they kind of take the along with it. I'll try it, but I'm going to approach with caution. Lisa almost was overly skeptical, as if I was trying to like put poison into her fruit and veg at the start. And it was very difficult to, to really get the value in the behavior change. Now, Lisa's an amazing client and a really adherent person, but just at the start, there was a little bit of stubbornness. And that's what yeah. most people are at their most vulnerable. I'm working with a lady right now, and she was on my podcast recently. She said a brilliant analogy because I said it to her. I said, <clears throat> we were talking about weight loss quick schemes. And I said this with tremendous respect, tremendous respect and compassion. But, you know, if I told you I'd get you six figures in the next week, all you have to do is give me 10 grand now, you would never believe that. But yet we do the same thing with kind of nutrition quick fixes. And she said, yeah, but if you were already 100 grand in debt and you were so desperate and you just thought, you know what, this, this, is going to, this is going to be worth the gamble. I'm so desperate. You'd see it a bit different. And I thought that was actually a really good comeback. You know, if you're already desperate and already deep in debt, what's another few quid if, if there's hope at the end of the tunnel? Even yeah. if you know deep down it's probably not going to work. So that was my massive issue with it. It's my massive issue with the industry as a whole. These oversimplistic methods. I, I put up on my, my you, Shane, you know, as someone who's done really well for himself lately with his own weight loss journey, it's quite a, it, it, and sim, there's beauty in simplicity. You want to keep it as simple as you can for yourself. And somebody went through one of my analogies talking about the effects on growth hormone and blah, 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 blah. And he started reciting all this PhD style nonsense to me and I remember thinking this guy's never worked with a human in his life you know and I remember thinking here yeah you use your big words there and your fancy ego and whenever you're ready to stop DMing me like I don't care like I, I'm surprised you assume that I care what you think I don't care this is garbage I'll always engage in respectful discourse but this is not serving anyone I don't understand any of the words you're using and I've been studying this shit for six years um, but yeah sorry back to the picture behavior changes incredibly difficult to instill you have to see the value in it and it's so hard to get people out of either extreme of diet or like you know on the diet off the diet it's very hard to get people to commit things to unspectacularity like even something small like you know the ketogenic diet implies carbs are bad and yet carbs just play a different role in the body than protein proteins and carbohydrates are the exact same gram for gram the exact same calories the exact same they just have two very different roles in the body and that little nugget of information alone can change somebody's whole relationship with dieting and with food and can take this kind of extreme thought process away. So that was why it irritated me so much. And that's why I couldn't let it go in the context of you're preying on the vulnerabilities with a lie of human. But, you know, it's one thing to use marketing to prey on vulnerabilities with decent information. But when you're doing so to lie to people, um, I just couldn't accept it, obviously. Yeah. And in my opinion, I, I, I keep going back to this. I train a lot of people now and nobody has ever come to me not understanding uh, the perfect calorie number, the perfect macro split. It's always entering a new dietary phase, but with the same fears of the previous diet, the same 
maybe misguided philosophies, the same pseudo or fake science, the same false thingies, you know, the same, basically, if you go to a new diet of calorie tra tracking from some kind of points-based system or some kind of keto-based system, but you still have the exact same beliefs, then when you break your calorie allowance, then it's only a matter of time before you're back in bucket boat. So you haven't actually improved your knowledge or your perspective. You've just given yourself new chains to be shackled by. So it's quite complex. I always think, I'd be actually interested to hear what you think of this, genuinely speaking, because you know, you're on your own journey. But do you notice that there's this very strong anti-diet versus, say, like calorie tracking kind of dichotomy in the fitness industry now, where there's like health at all sizes and anti-diet movements, which is a really good message. It's just getting lost in extremes. And it's been polarized by, you know, dieting is not bad, dieting is not wrong. And I find this interesting myself. I'm, I'm personally an anti-diet person. I don't diet. I don't like it. Who does enjoy at various parts of the year dropping a little bit of body fat through caloric control. I don't see it as dieting. I see it as when saving money for an event, saving calories for an event, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's something you've noticed, something you've seen, or is it just my it's massive, availability man. bias with my work? No, no, it's it's actually something I've I've been tempted to delve into on the podcast. I, I do a weekly chat with one of the lads, Brendan, uh, just a guy I used to work with. We literally, he's gone through a similar fitness journey to myself, lost a pile of weight in the past year. And we literally just chat shit with no no qualifications behind us to actually advise anyone on anything. We just give our opinions. But it's one of the topics we've been thinking about delving into lately. And it's because it's everywhere. I mean, the, the, there's almost a few different layers to it. There's, there's different sides. There's the, I suppose, the anti-diet side or the anti-calorie tracking, which is almost like denying denying that part of it and just saying, no, it's not about that. It's about the types of foods you eat. And they come into a certain extent, I suppose. But then you also have the healthy at any size movement, which I think is probably the more dangerous one. Because it's when it comes down to like, what's the best way to put it? You can be happy at any size. You can look good at any size. Everyone's got a different preference. You know, some people like someone who's a bit bigger. Some people like someone who's a bit smaller. Some people prefer themselves when they look a certain way. And I feel like that's happiness. And happiness is a huge, important part of life. But health is just facts. And I feel like when you're trying to push health at any size, it's a bit of a different story because it's, it's not always the case that that's true. But I don't think it is the insinuation of maybe i'm wrong on this i don't think it is healthy at any size i think the premise of the movement is seek health seeking behavior away from weight loss at any size oh well that's one side but man even even like especially in you know the uk and stuff one of one of the biggest things is healthy at any size like oh you can be healthy and still be fat or you can be healthy you can still be massively overweight and that's that's one that's starting to climb and that's one i'm seeing quite often now is is these articles and you know these to be honest they're in, they're in trashy magazines and newspapers and stuff like that they're probably not coming from massively legitimate sources but these people are getting doctors behind them to say oh you you can be healthy when you're fat and you can to a certain extent but i mean i'm no doctor by any means and i'm i'm not a health expert but it is it is a risky one where when you're telling people that and you're telling people you know oh, you, you can be healthy even if you're, you know, 50 pounds overweight. Like that person is going to be predisposed to however many conditions and it isn't going to be in that healthy state forever. I mean, you have someone who might be bulletproof in their 20s when they're massively overweight, but put them in their 50s and they're not going to be that bulletproof. And it, it's risky. But um, I suppose kind of touching back to what you were actually saying uh, in terms of those movements, I feel like they're they're growing a massive presence online and I feel like if you go down the wrong rabbit hole online you could be goosed 
and you could be really taken in by one of these things and that kind of scares me man i'll be honest like the amount of vulnerable people that probably fall down those rabbit holes and end up in a worse place because of it it's uh it's scary you know what i mean it's uh it's worrying yeah to be honest i'm often you know wondering where's the line between encouraging people with true compassion and understanding that you know, I, I, I don't get a lot of personal trainers who think that the best way to get the best out of people is to use shameful language. Like, it's like my eyes have been open in the last 24 months, particularly, you know, a lot of the fitness memes I see are very shameful language. Like I saw a picture recently of a, a really shredded lad next to a, you know, a person who would have say a lot more body fat. And the caption was, you choose. And I just thought, how reductionist. That is so reductionist. And I don't like if I imagine if you need a therapy and you saw a happy person and a sad person is like you choose just you wouldn't last five minutes with the therapist, you know, yeah. you wouldn't like they'd, be, they'd have their license stripped in minutes. But yet, you know, this has become the norm of training and there's so much virtue signaling with training. I suppose since I've removed myself from say the fitness scene and gone way more back into a general population lifestyle, I've seen just how much unsolicited advice I get about my particularly my diet, sometimes about my body, which I'm OK with. I just think that's part of life. Yeah. But particularly my diet, you know, and it's always from trainers and it's always trainers projecting their own ideas of the world onto me. I always think you're either giving me a fundamental principle of how something works or your opinion. And they're not the same thing. And I'm a, I'm a professional in this sense. I can filter out bad information. I certainly know how to apply it. I'm quite self-aware in the fitness sense. So I have no problem. Like I know what I'm willing to do to achieve results I want to have. Yeah. But if somebody doesn't have that awareness, I think it's really disempowering. And I don't think a lot of trainers have cracked that. And I think we owe it to people. To be in a very compassionate and empathetic mind space on the flip chain and to be very blunt with the side of things you're mentioning i often think people are just egging people up to become the biggest victim they can because if you're a victim in victim mentality you don't have to take any ownership for your situation and you know that's that's no way to live either and i'm not talking about victim which your waste just in general if you feel something's out of your control and you feel the victim mentality and somebody else's ideas or words or opinions have the ability to completely make you lose years and years of your life that's something that needs to be audited and checked in with as well i think yeah i I, you know i suppose man what it really comes down to at the moment which i feel is one of the biggest parts is no matter what side of the fence you are on someone's going to tell you you're wrong and i suppose what i've seen when you actually delve into the different sides and i suppose doing research for different podcasts or looking into different guests i do tend to see this where you have one side of the fence, which is people are going to criticize people who have six packs, people who are in great nick. You have a side of the fence that's going to, you know, criticize people who are calorie tracking, people who are on certain diet movements. People are like someone's criticizing every side of the argument, no matter what way you look. But how much you dogmatically invest yourself into that is one of the biggest factors that comes into it. And I feel like the problem is people are massively investing themselves into these movements and investing themselves into these messages instead of authentically living as themselves like i can eat a certain way and it's not going to impact the rest of my life or it's not going to impact my interactions with other people but there's a certain amount of people who take almost their entire identity from the way they eat or the way they train or the way they do anything and if you're approaching your life where you need to make that one side of your life your entire life it's unhealthy no matter what side of the fence you're on so whether you're 50 pounds overweight and you want to promote body positivity or whether you're a keto expert and you want everyone to be on keto, if you're 
taken that dogmatic approach to life where it's right or wrong and you have the answers that no one else has and everything else is wrong but you you're just I, I can't even describe how much you're you're both you're fucking yourself and you're also fucking anyone who accidentally takes in your message and takes it on board as something positive and I think we have lost Paul is he back back I don't know what oh, happened God. there. It just said, um, and then it came straight back on. Well, that's good. I, I was literally mid rant. And the next thing I was like, oh, Paul's disappearing. He's gone. Am I talking to myself? I think I am. And then there was this awkward silence for three seconds where I'm like, oh, I don't know where he's gone. But yeah. No, we're good. Look, are, man, are, you, are, you still are you still recording? Yeah, yeah. Super. So that's all the one. But um, yeah, look, man, I, I just it is one of my biggest worries and it's actually, it's like the internet. I kind of, I have a love hate relationship with the internet where it can lead people so astray and it can also benefit people so much. Like there's, there's huge, huge influences in my life, be it writers or, you know, podcasters or people um, in all walks of life who I've found through other people sharing it online. And it's massively impact the way I think, the way I approach life, the way I do things. But there's also that side of things where you're saying, okay, what if I randomly go down, you know, I abandon all my principles and I abandon logical thought and I go down the route of, I need to take this extreme approach to my life now. I need to take an extreme approach to my health, to my weight loss, to whatever it might be. And I end up worse off than when I started. And I feel like it's happening to people quite often. And it's a big risk where like the internet is going to throw the same topic at you a hundred times if they think you'll stay on long enough to do it. So if you're on Instagram and you go down a rabbit hole of weight loss, Instagram's going to keep throwing you weight loss, but that doesn't mean it's going to throw you factual stuff. It doesn't mean it's going to throw you stuff that are legitimate. So if you like 10 weight loss posts, suddenly you might end up down the rabbit hole of extreme juice, diets, keto, whatever charlatans are going to throw easy marketing your way. That's going to make everything look simple. Like in six weeks, you can change your life. That's risky. For the wrong person, that's super risky. For the person who has enough money to invest into these charlatans, that's risky. And it happens. And like that's my worry where if you're not surrounding yourself, and I talk about it quite often, but cultivating your newsfeed with the right people. If you're not doing that, you're really putting yourself at risk of falling down awful lot of rabbit holes that are probably going to leave you worse off than when you started. And it's very important to make sure that you are investing in the right sources and investing in the sources. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong source, but investing in the sources that are actually going to give you real information. I feel like that's the key. No matter what side of the fence that real information is coming from, I feel like it's important that it's actually factual and that it's coming from a legitimate place. And if you ever pay attention to those who really do in terms of like an actual um, process, let's say fat loss, do you ever pay attention to real true experts in any field? Nobody speaks in absolute. Nobody speaks in these all or nothing black or white terms. There's always that kind of degree of doubt and degree of, like, you know, one of the principles of science being falsifiability. If you don't have a theory that you can test, that you could potentially falsify, then it's, you can't actually argue and say it's true in a sense. And I know that mightn't be the most appealing or sexy thing to hear, especially for people who have put, say, no conscious time into understanding the scientific method. And I mean the scientific method of actually thinking, not like lab coats and experiments and that kind of science. I mean, literally how, how you would analyze something to see if it's worth listening to. Yeah. 
I think it's such an important thing to be able to, where you need to know who to listen to first and foremost, but I do go back to the absolute and the black and white state. People tend to be, people with knowledge worth listening to tend to be very aware of the depths of their own ignorance and the scope of, the small, small scope of their own knowledge. It's something I have to remind myself all the time before I get make any hard and fast decisions. I have to ask myself questions like, how do I know I know this? Like, how can I be sure? How can I, how can I be absolutely sure? That's probably why I've gotten to some degree quite obsessed with encouraging clients as I've touched on with, with trying to get them to be self-aware because, you know, there's so much when you think about it in the world that we don't understand, like so much. I know people get very upset about the weighing scales, for example, when they use the weighing scale and yet they don't quite understand how to use it as data. And I'm always trying to encourage people to be very aware that you have no idea of how the processes actually work in the body. Like you've no idea. Everything that's matter weighs against gravity, but only like the law of thermodynamics can convert something to body fat. So I think it's always important to be very aware of, even when you're analyzing your own progress, like the depth of all our ignorance is scarily deep. And it seems to be the loudest voices that get amplified the highest, particularly on a medium like Instagram and Facebook, because of course that's going to get clicks and that's what's going to get. But if you can, like you say, surround yourself with knowledgeable people and curate your feed and, you know, look for look for thinkers in life. Look for thinkers. I think it's free thinkers. People who think about thoughts. People who encourage you to think for yourself. You know, I I've said this 101 times. The reason I'm the trainer I am now is for nine years I would have loved somebody to come along and say, "But is that your goal? Like, what do you want to achieve? Will that make you any happier? Well, consider this approach for this. But you could also look really good if you just did this, and you'd be a lot more relaxed. You know, the old cliche of don't give away 95% of your life for 5% more results. Like all that stuff that, that I take for granted today, somebody would have come along to 15 year old me and said, relax a second, maybe. Like, I'm going to show you how it's really done in a good way. I would have loved that. And I never got that. Yeah. I just had literally these dietary absolutes, for example. And that's why I mentioned anti diet movement, because I can understand why if you've only had turbulent experiences dieting, like I would have had for a lot of my life, I can understand how you go to the other extreme. But actually, I think there's always that place where you can get away from and still enjoy life. It's like when people say money's evil. Money's not evil. Money money doesn't change anybody. Money just exposes you. Nothing ever changes a human. You just get exposed. And I can't help but feel that people who don't understand the core principles, plus patience, plus just the basic scientific principles can never actually cultivate a really good relationship with dieting and can never actually create that self-awareness to look into where they're just equally gone to the opposite They've, they've taken one thing they used to believe and unfortunately gone to the very opposite side of things. And yeah. a lot of the evidence is pain, painfully unscientific and unevidence based. And that's probably my biggest problem with it. Yeah, no, I, I think like when it comes to the anti-diet movement, um, there's, there's certain aspects which I think are, are valuable. And I think there's certain aspects which I think you could probably leave off. And one of the things I find is if you're approaching your diet and the way you eat, and this is specific to nutrition and nutrition only, it's not, it's not to all walks of life. But if you have the facts behind you at the start, taking an approach like that is extremely healthy. Like if you're able to, if you've tracked food for long enough that you're able to eyeball something that's 200 calories when you're out in a restaurant and go, look, I know that's within my budget. That's brilliant. But it's the fact of you would have had to put in the work and put in the tracking and scan whoever many barcodes to get to that point of going, look, I'm looking at a steak now and I'm going, I know that's a, an eight ounce steak. And that stuff, it, it's not about it being blind facts, but it, it's about leading yourself in that way. And the other thing I'd say is like stuff like intuitive eating. 
knowing when you're full and knowing that you've had enough is a massive strength to have. And a lot of people who struggle with their weight lose that. And it's one of the things that I bring myself back to a lot. And it's why sometimes I'll do a fast, not because I think a fast is going to give me this, I suppose, this amazing weight loss or that it's going to randomly shift around my week. But when you actually take time, especially if you've been eating a lot of food and, you know, you've been kind of constantly full for a few days, you know, and it's just the case you've not really felt hunger. When you strip back and you just actually feel, okay, this is what it's like to be hungry. You're not, you're not as likely to overeat. You're not as likely to bring yourself to that point of utter fullness. You know, sometimes it's okay to listen to your body and just say, all right, this, you know, this is the time where we need to eat, whether that's two in the morning or whether that's, you know, seven in the morning. It's, a, it's important to actually listen to yourself and understand that. And I feel like when you put in the groundwork of tracking calories, of understanding food, of understanding what volumes of food from a healthy approach look like and understanding how much is too much, that's the point where you can let loose and kind of have the anti-diet side of things where you're just eating to feel good and you're eating to fuel yourself to certain aspects of your life. That's the point where you can release yourself into that zone. But should you just, if you want to lose a hundred pounds, should you go into that and say, oh, I don't follow a diet. I don't believe in diets. Diets mean nothing. Calorie means nothing. It's all about the celery and kale I eat. No, I, I don't think anyone who's in that point of their life should do that. I think it's all about perspective and about what you have behind you. If you have strong core principles and knowledge behind you, following something like that is going to be maybe very beneficial, maybe very freeing. But if, if you don't have that stuff behind you, it, it, to be honest, I just think it's dangerous and probably counterproductive in the long run. And you end up probably with even worse issues with food than you would have started with. I think you touched on a really interesting point there, two particular ones. Um, the first one you kind of touched on is you're, you're probably not intuitively going to want to eat in a deficit if you're just relying on intuition. And that's not a bad thing. That can be a really good thing to take a period of time where you want to, you know, try and gain back that kind of trust um, with your own intuitive hunger cues, etc. One other thing that you said that I find fascinating because I've been trying to write about it a lot lately, and you've just said it probably better than I could ever. I think I think there's a couple of components, literally two components, and in, in a sense, the dieting. There's the external wisdom, the stuff you've no control over, like 200 calories of avocado or chocolate or or, or whatever it is will be 200 calories of that. You don't have the choice. Um, but then there's also the internal wisdom, the I personal identity around food, you know, the ability to eat maybe half a chocolate bar and put the other half away, the self-awareness, the ability to know what you want from your dieting, just the ability to trust yourself. I think a lot of dieting that we've done leaves us out of touch with our own internal sense of self and our internal hunger cues and stuff. Um, and I think it is a case of being able to merge the two, the external knowledge of how it works and the internal uh, knowledge, if you like, or the internal wisdom of how you want it to work for you. Um, it's just, I think it's really interesting because you touched on something that I would very much share your philosophy with. You said it slightly different to me and you probably said it better than me. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. And I definitely agree. I, I agree. I think it's a really good thing where you do give yourself those little tests or those objectives, if you will, to, to connect yourself to your hunger. Because in anything in life, you can't abuse anything in life, whether it's your body or food or money or sex or anything and expect that there's not going to be any negative repercussions in life. You know, we're, we're fundamentally deluding ourselves if that's the case. I'm not trying to, I don't even need to say this, but there's, it's not that we're shaming people for behavior on food. It's nothing like that. Um, but the idea that you could just act in a way where you don't think of the responses, you know, the actions, the, the consequences of behaviors in any form with anything in life is not going to work. 
Yeah, man, I, I think it's, it's one of the philosophies I've tried to adapt to lately, not just in, in terms of food, but the idea of opting in and actually, I suppose, checking into the reality of a situation. I feel like a lot of us live our lives in an automated sense. You know, we automatically check our phones in the morning. We automatically stroll social media when we're bored. We automatically eat foods at certain times of the day, whether we're hungry or not. And to take yourself out of that cycle, no matter what it's in, and just saying, okay, so am I opting into this because I need it? Or am I opting into this because I feel I should be doing it? And, you know, when you're able to do that, particularly with food, it can be very powerful and it, it can be very freeing in the fact of if it's six o'clock and you know it's dinner time, but you're not hungry and you just choose, okay, I'll, I'll eat later. And you might have a smaller dinner because you just weren't hungry. That's better than, you know, forcing that food down your gob at six o'clock and creating this automated effect of I have to eat at six o'clock. You know, when, if it was caveman times and obviously you, you would have been starving and fair enough, you know, food would have been hard to come by. I can understand why you would need to, when the food is there, eat. But you live in a house with a fridge that's going to keep things fresh. So it doesn't really matter about the time of day or, you know, anything along those lines. But opt in when you want to opt in. You know, if you're hungry, eat. If you're feeling like you need a nap, maybe go to sleep. There's, there's certain levels of our lives that I feel like we put on such an automated factor of we have to do this because that's what you do. That yeah. it's hard to really be checked in. And I feel like when you actually decide, okay, why am I doing this? What's the core principle of this? What What is the point of me doing this? When you take the time to think of stuff like that, you suddenly take back a lot more control over situations. And it's, it's I feel like it's been massively changed the way I approach so many aspects of my life. Well, you, you, you might agree with this then. Uh, one thing I noticed again, training people and probably in my own life too, is it's not the perfect diet you're looking for. It's breaking that particular pattern the next time you're presented with the pattern that doesn't serve you. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. I feel like it's it's important to, to be able to acknowledge those habits too, or patterns, I should say, because we all get into them. Particularly, like, look, if you're, I can only say this from personal experience, but if you're someone who's ended up, you know, 50 kilos overweight, you probably got there more than likely, not just through overeating, but through patterns of eating when you're emotional or eating at certain times or letting certain types of foods control your life, your mood and everything else. And the only way you're ever going to get yourself out of that, it's, it's not necessarily just through calorie deficit. You have to break those patterns down. You know, you have to become someone who considers what they eat, who considers how full they are, who is able to track and able to just be happy tracking. And a combination of all those things, particularly the broken habits, are what are going to get you to a successful place. But as soon as you delve back into that automated pattern sense of, I've had a bad day in work, I'm going to eat six bars of chocolate, or I've, you know, I'm tired, so I'm automatically going to, you know, order a takeaway instead of cooking. When you go into that pattern, suddenly those, those things repeated over time are what are going to get you back to where you started. And the same way, by breaking those patterns and having, I suppose, a narrative of, you know, an opt-in approach, that's going to be the way you're going to get to success. You know, I'm opting in to track my calories today. I'm opting in to committing to whatever goals I have. I'm opting in to doing however many workouts this week because I know they're going to make me feel better. That's a lot more powerful. And I think that's that's what's going to actually get people places, not necessarily a diet or, you know, releasing themselves from the idea of a diet even. It's, I'm kind of waffling on a bit now. I'm not going to lie. I've lost my own train of thought, but I think you get what I'm saying in terms of the core principle of it. Like, it's better to be consciously aware of these things and make choices than it is to just automatically do the things we've always done. 
because they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get you the results at the end of the day. Well, definitely. I, I, I think it reduces the single-mindedness of certain decisions. Um, I remember when I had a client one time, a really lovely lady, and she won't mind me sharing this, not that I'm going to name her. We, we, she, she DM'd me incidentally, and I was actually out for beer and pizza at the time, and she told me she, was, she had a weight loss goal. And um, I, I can't remember, it was shortly after we were talking, and I said I was out for beer and pizza. I said, I'll give you a shout in a while. You know, I'll give you all the details of my coaching. And, you know, and when I told her I was out for beer and a pizza, and we were just conversing, and I asked her, did she think the beer and the pizza was bad? And she said, well, she, said, she did say, well, I would, I would have thought so. I would think so. And I said, all bad. And she's like, yeah, it's what I would have been encouraged to believe. And I said, so all bad in every circumstance. And then, you know, I just kind of started to see an element of her backtracking a little bit and thinking. And I was just trying, I wasn't trying in any way to be rude or a dick, but I was just saying like, so beer and pizza is bad in every circumstance all the time and it shouldn't be. Um, and obviously she realized that that sentence didn't quite sound right. And yeah. I, I was just kind of making the point that it was social connection between me and one of my best mates because he was over from Ireland, you know, so she wouldn't have had the context. You just hear beer, pizza, eating bad. Realistically, it was two pints of beer and we split a pizza. And, you know, the... I always think the the intervention itself is never the problem. It's the intention. If that was pizza and beer because I was stressed and angry, and then that just has control over me, that's obviously not a good thing. But if it's a social connection and having fun with my friends, then I think that is a good thing. Same decision, same thing, but different reasons. Like like calorie tracking, I have no problem with calorie tracking as an intervention. The intervention is not the problem. It's the intention. Is the intention to try and control to make up for the lack of control in other areas of life? Or would you just like to tighten up a little bit on your nutrition? Uh, and I, I always think that context can get a bit lost. And then we go back to this kind of single-minded behavior. Um, nothing is all good or all bad, essentially. Like the diet is much more, as you, I think that's what you were kind of alluding to. You know, it's such a, it's more about breaking habits and patterns. I trust myself now around food. I still get, I come from an eating disorder background. I still get very intrusive thoughts, especially if I do decide to indulge. Now, I don't bow to them anymore, but they still exist. And, you know, if it was ever a part of you, it will always be there. But I do trust myself more and more. I've proven to myself time and again that I can. I don't always, it doesn't work. Sometimes I go for two or three pints and I come home seven or eight later. Uh, but, but it's not gone beyond the point where I feel I'm out of control anymore. I think that's the biggest thing. It's the perception. You know, if you are tired and stressed and you keep going back on your words, the perception is, well, fuck it, I failed yet again as opposed to this will really heighten my sense of enjoyment and connection right now. Like food is so many things. Like food will always be there till the day we die. Always, always, always. It will always be there. No matter how hard you want to deny that when you go on your next diet, food will always be there. It's cultural. When people die, we have food. When people get married, we celebrate with food. Food, birthdays, food, romantic connection, food, live, food. Like we need it until the day we die. We have to form good relationships with it. We have to. So that it does come around, come down to, and I, I say this as I'm not trying to be in any way reductionist, but we have to create that consciousness, at very least that awareness that maybe we don't have the best relationship with food in general, and that it's time to start prioritizing that. And that might be away from fat loss. And if you get fat loss when you're doing it, that's great. But it, sometimes you need to stop dieting and start prioritizing your, just like if you're in toxic dating cycle, sometimes you need to stop toxic dating and get a good relationship with yourself before you, go back into the dating world. I just think it's such an important thing to have. And I don't think it's a component that we're thinking about enough. Yeah, no, man, I, I 100% agree massively. 
Except on, on the dating side, I would never give anyone advice on that because I've been in a relationship for pretty much a decade now. And I, I feel like I'm definitely not someone to encourage anyone on that side of things. But on the diet side, yeah, <laughs> 100% agree. Definitely. Anyway, dude, look. <laughs> I'm, it's with been, I'm, with, I'm, I'm with you on the dating. I'm with you on the dating. I've been with Orla for six, six years. And before that, before Orla for six years, two years prior, I was in a seven-year relationship. So I spent almost all my adult life completely in relationships. Yes, we're, we're definitely not the people to give dating advice, but life advice and everything else, we're, we're good to go. We, we can definitely help the masses. Some. I don't know, man. I'm not sure if I'd listen to me, but I'm frauding, I'm frauding a living so far, so we'll keep going. That's it, man. Fake it till you make it. Come here. Look, it's been great having you on. I'm conscious of the fact it's 10 to 9, and I'm going to have to sign on to work in a minute, so I may have to leave you go. But look, um. I'd imagine most of the people will know where to find you anyway, but just for, for those random few who don't, where can people find Paul Dermody? Um, Instagram by the same name with, I think the two letters PT after it. And yes, find me on Instagram, come say hi. And podcast as well, Paul Dermody podcast, um, which I have a hundred and something episodes as well. So look, dude, thank you so much. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as I always do. Dude. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you soon.